Hey there, I'm Daniel. Welcome to Bandit's Keep. Um, this is, I guess, going to be the beginning of Season 1. I just wanted to thank everybody who called in for my first kind of spontaneous episode. Uh, the community's just been really great and uh, to have such quick response, so thank you all. And I was trying to decide, of course, since I hadn't planned on making a podcast, what my Season 1 would be about. And I decided just to make it about the thing I'm doing right now, which is... I've become fascinated, again, uh, with original Dungeons & Dragons. So, uh, the three original books that came in the box, I guess, Chainmail uh, and uh, Outdoor Fantasy, which are the two game, no, Outdoor Survival, should be called, uh, which are the two games that they kind of recommend that you need to have to play the game that you just bought, which is always a funny little thing about D&D. And the alternative combat system, in a sense. I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, in this, and I'm going to start off this first episode, though, by talking about, I think, something that, that is kind of involved in that and makes a difference for me, basically what I'm really looking into, which is the idea of RPGs having what's commonly called a core mechanic, and whether or not that is good or bad or doesn't make a difference, that's kind of what I'm going to explore a little bit anyways, or I'm going to talk about here. So... Just in case you are new to RPGs or you don't know what I mean by core mechanic, I will kind of explain that as best I can. I'm not a games designer, so probably I will not be perfect in explaining this, but uh, here we go. Okay, so a core mechanic as I understand it, and as I'm going to use that term in this particular podcast, is essentially when a game has a single system, for the most part, that dictates everything that happens in the game. So if you think about, let's say, Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, if you play that, um, the core mechanic is essentially you roll a 20-sided die trying to meet or beat a target number. This is true of, I mean, you'll add to it any attribute bonuses or whatever, um, and or subtract, and that is basically the core mechanic. If you are trying to attack a creature, you roll a d20, you add all your attack stats, you compare it against the target number, which is the creature's armor class, and if you meet or beat it, you hit the creature and do damage, right? If you get stabbed by a poison needle and you need to make a saving throw uh, to take damage or die or whatever it's going to do, you roll a d20, you add your, you know, constitution bonus or whatever, yeah, it's going constitution usually for that, and if you, uh, you know, the, the target number is determined by, I guess, the deadliest of the trap, if you meet or beat it, then the poison has no effect or takes half damage or whatever. Um, if you're trying to pick a lock, you... Uh, you know, you go to the lock, you roll a d20, you add your dexterity or any proficiency you have in lock picks, and depending on how hard the lock is to pick, if you meet or beat that number, you pick the lock, right? That is a core mechanic. Everything you do in the system, for the most part, uses that mechanic, um, including uh, any kind of, uh, like, if you're casting a spell that, it, that requires an attack, it uses the same mechanic. The things that change, of course, are, like, what you use. Maybe you'll use your intelligence or you'll use your strength or whatever it kind of comes down to. Um, they also have another kind of overarching mechanic in 5e particular, which is advantage slash disadvantage. And again, that applies to just about everything. If you are knocked prone, you have disadvantage, or people have advantage if they're attacking you or something like that. Um, if you're trying to, you know, if you're blinded, you have advantage, you have disadvantage, I guess, to attack. Um, if you are invisible, they have disadvantage to attack you. So again, that mechanic covers basically every kind of condition. There are a few things like cover and some oddball things that stick out that they don't use the advantage-disadvantage, but for the most part in 5th edition, to my understanding, and I'm 
certainly no expert. Um, that is the core mechanic of it. So um, another example would be, and again, I'm even less of an expert in this, would be a Call of Cthulhu, which is essentially a percentile system. You have skills. You know, if you want to, uh, I don't know what you're doing, Call of Cthulhu. If you want to go to the library, uh, you look at your library skill and you roll a percentile. You want to get under your chance. So if you have a 50% library skill, you want to get 50 or below. If you get uh, half that, so I guess 25, then that is a hard success. So you get like bonuses. And I think if you get a quarter or an eighth, I don't remember exactly what it is, below that, then it's like an extreme success. And then I guess you can also have a critical success. But essentially, it keeps chopping down. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's always the same, whether you're checking at the library or you're climbing a wall or you're spotting something you know that's hidden or you're trying to manipulate somebody or sweet talk them. You always roll against your percentile skill and uh, and you have your normal successes, your hard successes, your extreme successes. I'm not sure if I'm using the right term. If Andy listens to this, he'll tell me. Um, and your critical successes. And of course, there's also fumbles. But, but basically, everything uses that mechanic for the most part. Whether you're shooting somebody, talking to somebody, you know, trying to not die from something. I guess there's a few other, there's a few times where that's not the case where you use a skill. Rather, you use your attribute. But even when you do that, it's the same. If you have to... If you're getting uh, charmed or something with magic spell, this I know very little about, so <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, um, you use, I believe, your power. So you use your power as that skill. So it's like if you have a 50 power and you are trying to get charmed, you, uh, you know, you got a little 50 or less. So that's basically what a core mechanic is. You don't use a different system for each thing. Now, if you look at, like, older versions of Dungeons & Dragons, for instance, um, you have lots of different mechanics. You know, whether you're making a saving throw, um, you know, or you are, you know, in fact, even various monsters have within them kind of mini games and, and mechanics. Um, there's oftentimes like if you're like, so a, an example would be if you are a uh, thief in, you know, let's say first edition of the dragons, you have a bunch of thieves skills. They roll percentile. You have a percentile chance to achieve the thieving skill or not. Right. If you're making an attack, you roll a d20 trying to, I guess, hit a target number when it comes down to it. Um, if you are making a saving throw, you, you roll a d20. Again, you're trying to make a target number. Um, but this is not uh, modified by your, in the case of saving throws, by any abilities generally. It's usually just based on your level, whereas an attack is not modified, or I guess there is modified by your level on some level, but it's, uh, it's more a, fa a factor of your fighting ability, so like your strength if you're, if you're trying to hit something. Um, so basically, depending on what you're doing, there's different mechanics. I mean, they're not that different when it comes down to it. Unless you get into things like the grappling rules or psionics or some of the other things in first edition where the rules really are very different um, for those types of activities. So I guess the question that I often ask is, you know, is there a benefit to a core mechanic or, or is it the right way or is it the best way? Um, and my, uh, spoiler alert, I don't think so. Um, I think it's good because it allows simplicity in the system. But anytime that you make something more simple, I think you take some of the flavor out of it and some of kind of what makes things special. Um, if you're always just rolling that, you know, 20 side die and you always know that a high number is better, that makes sense. I mean, you're learning a game, it's easier, I guess. But it doesn't always, in my opinion, work out to be better. You know, uh, and the example that when we're going to get deeper into this as we go into the episodes, because I'm going to go through the mechanic and as I understand it, because some of these things are a little bit vague and the people that, you know, wrote them are, are no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, 
if you look at the rules in Chainmail, let's say, versus original Dungeons & Dragons. So, original Dungeons & Dragons states that you should use the combat system from Chainmail. However, uh, it doesn't come with that combat system. It comes with an alternative combat system, which is pretty much the combat system that we know today. You roll a d20, you try to get a certain result based on the armor of the opponent. And that's great, you know. Um, it's simple. Clearly it's the one that caught on, although I wonder if it caught on because it was included in the book and free and most people didn't have chainmail, um, or if it caught on because it was better. And that's really where, what I'm starting to explore myself as I'm playing around with different combat systems. Um, so again, I'm not going to go through this completely, but there is a PDF out there, and it's not for sale as far as I know. It's just kind of out there on the, the internet. I think it's like 10 years old. Um, and it was compiled by a bunch of different people. But if you just Google using chainmail to resolve OD&D combats, uh, you will find a PDF out there somewhere of it. You can also pick up chainmail on DriveThruRPG. And of course, OD&D you can pick up there as well. If you're interested in these kind of things and you're going to follow along. But you won't need them because I'm going to talk about all of it. Um, but the very first thing I want to talk about is this, this um, I don't know if it said it in this particular uh, pamphlet that I'm recommending, but there was another pamphlet I was reading that uh, was talking about creating a setting for like Conan the Barbarian, the world of Conan the Barbarian, um, using original Dungeons and & Dragons. And one thing that they say in that is that what was a confusion for people when it said to use Chainmail's combat system is they were confused as to which one do you use. And this person's solution was you use all of them. And this is what really made my mind start to think. It's like you use all of them. That's very interesting. So, and again, I'm going to go into these in detail as we go through this, but I'm just going to overview today. So the first combat system is generally used for mass combat. It's the, it's the normal system, if you will. Essentially, you are rolling a handful of D6s based on how many, quote, men you have. And in the case of characters, if you were to look at OD&D, depending on your level, it will state how many, quote, men your character is, is equivalent to. So like a, a fourth level fighter is equivalent to four men, whereas a fourth level magic user is equivalent to, I think, two. So, you know, fighters are better fighters because now they're rolling four dice instead of just two. Um, and generally a six is a, quote, kill. And my understanding, and I can't remember where I heard this, it was either an anecdote, maybe I was at GaryCon, and they were talking about how the war, how hit points came about and the idea was that like everybody wanted to play these individual characters, but they hated that every time they got hit, they died. So hit points became something that, I guess, eventually evolved into a D6 per level or per, per uh, hit die. Um, but I think at first it was just one hit per like hit die. So if you were a fourth level fighter, you could get hit four times before you die. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it works in Chainmail. I am not done reading it yet, so we'll see, right? Um, uh, but there's some advantage to that, right? Because if you're fighting four goblins and they roll four six-sided dice and you're a fighter and you roll four six-sided dice, if they hit you twice, you're still alive and the next round you still roll four dice. Whereas if you get two sixes, two of them are dead and they're only going to get two. So um, it's it's really interesting. I was, uh, well, I'll talk about this more in other episodes, but I've been playing out these mass combats with like a high-level character versus huge amounts of uh, enemies. And that's where I think this first system is great. Think about it, if I'm going to have 30 goblins attack uh, a party, you just don't do it, right? The way that most people play D&D is that when you're low level, you're fighting a handful of goblins, and then you get up and you start fighting some gnolls, and then you fight some ogres, and then you fight some giants, and then you fight some, you know, demons, or whatever you're fighting as you go up higher levels. It's not common for people to do...
do combats where your epic fighter is like surrounded by 50 hobgoblins because that would just take forever to, to, to work out and it would just be crazy like it would just be it'd be a pain in the butt especially when you start talking about multiple players you got three fighters surrounded by 50 you know hobgoblins so it's just nobody plays that way because it would just be silly to play out well with this mass combat system in chainmail you can play out that way and it's really fast and really pretty awesome you know i mean i've, I've been doing some like play tests myself and my eighth level fighter when he didn't die uh, was generally able to take out 30 goblins in like five rounds. So, and it's like epic, crazy, descriptive combat. I mean, I'm not describing it to myself, but like if you were playing in a game, it's like, yeah, you just killed eight goblins. You can say this to the player, tell me how you just slaughtered them. Like, that's super cool. Um, and it's one way to do it. The other combat is the one I think a lot of people drifted towards when they, uh, when they thought, oh, we have to use chainmail combat, which is man-to-man. That combat is crunchy. So in that combat, you're you're looking at a weapon versus armor. So let's say you're using a sword versus chainmail. You're rolling two d6 per man, right? And you are uh, trying to uh, meet or beat the number. And if you do, it's a it's a hit or a kill, or however you want to do it. Um, this becomes a lot more crunchy. It also involves things like parrying and weapon length. So you can have these really uh, involved combats. You know, this is your uh, you know your 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 fighter against an equally powerful foe, or the or maybe the boss monster, if you like to use that term, where the combat can drag out and have all these uh, you know intricate steps of it's like I'm gonna parry two of his blows, and I'm gonna try to stab him with one blow, and I'm gonna do this. All that is involved in the man-to-man combat. It can it's all there, um, and again it's crunchy. You wouldn't use that if you were fighting fifty goblins. It would take forever, right? But when you're fighting the goblin king. And they're a you know five hit die uh, you know equivalent uh, monster. Let's say let's say you're fighting an ogre. Well, not an ogre because we'll get to that in a second. Uh, you're fighting like the goblin king, and, and and he's you know five hit die against your five hit die fighter, and you know he's using a spear and he's got leather armor on, and you're you know uh, in chain mail with a sword. It can really be, become this really cool kind of in depth uh, combat that involves a lot of strategy, um, and it will take longer. That's when you like kind of. St- you know, zoom in, as they say, right? Imagine in a movie where the hero is running through the castle, chopping down mooks as they go. That's the first kind of combat. Then they get to that chamber where um, the, the the boss is, right? Now, okay, so I'm going to make a Princess Bride reference, right? If you think about when they invade the castle and uh, Inigo is, like, running through, I mean, he's, like, chopping people down left and right because he's a massive, powerful, awesome swordsman. But when he fights the man in black, or the man in black, you know, that's a drawn-out fight, and that is your man-to-man combat. The final kind of combat, and again, I'm going to go through these more in detail, hopefully in future podcasts. Uh, the final kind is this fantasy combat, which is, is the part that fascinates me, which is interesting, uh, the most at this point, which is this can only be, only certain creatures fall into this category, and only certain types of people can, can fight them. You have to be at least hero level, which is a fourth level uh, fighter equivalent, to even fight on this chart. I think that comes from the idea of, like, um, you know, you weren't fighting dragons. I mean, you were armies, so you'd send your heroes to fight the dragons, right? Uh, clearly, if you are a D&D party, um, you know, you may... That might sound like, oh, that's not fair. Low-level people can't fight a dragon. Well, yeah, even most systems, if a low-level party fights a dragon, it's got to kill them. So, 
Yeah, you can, you know. But what this does is it super simplifies things. Essentially, it takes the the beast that you're fighting, let's say a dragon, against, let's say, a superhero, which is an 8th level fighter, or a wizard, which I, I think... I mean, technically a wizard is, I think, a ninth level or 10th level magic user, but they fight as wizard, I think, starting at 7th level. But anyways, that's a whole other thing. Um, and you cross-reference on this chart a number, and then you roll 2d6 to meet or beat it. If you meet it, they, you just hit them and they stagger back. They don't take any damage, right? If you beat it, then you do damage. Um, so you you really... And this is where you can really epically start to illustrate things. So it's not like, oh, well, the dragon blows a, bl blows a breath weapon and it does this much damage. It's like the, the dragon's fiery breath, you know, uh, shoots out at you and you block it with your shield. You, it's, again, it can all be narrative because you're just rolling two dice. You know, you are rolling two dice and the GM's rolling two dice. And the, the rest of it is just, you know what happened. Either you hit them or they hit you or somebody got knocked back. And then you can spend a minute narrating and, it, and you're not rolling a million dice. And in the end, that can create like really epic, again, fantastic combat if you want that way. Now, again, it depends on your boss and who you're fighting. Maybe you want to use man-to-man -man for that. If you're, I don't know, if your party's run, uh, controlling a small army or mercenary group, you might actually use uh, the, the mass combat against the, the dragon. In fact, you might be an 8th level fighter fighting the dragon while your men-at-arms that you hired are using the mass combat table to fight off the 100 goblins. So all these systems have their own mechanic and that mechanic brings flavor to it it's not always oh i'm fighting a goblin i'm going to roll a d20 and try to beat their armor class oh i'm fighting a dragon i'm going to roll a d20 and try to beat their armor class oh i'm fighting you know a, uh, an ogre with a giant club i'm going to roll a d20 and try to beat their armor class each of these special types of combat has their own mechanic and that mechanic uh creates more depth and more i mean ultimately i think will be more fun <laughs> Not sure because I haven't actually played it with players yet. I'm just doing it myself, but I just think that you are you do trade simplicity in a sense, right? I mean, granted, you need to be able to work all these different systems, but when you do that, you add to it. So that's kind of my thoughts on that for now. I will continue to make episodes on this uh, as we go forward. Uh, I'm going to start actually reading through it, and and I mean, I might even I'm not going to talk about each individual combat because I think that'd be boring. You don't want to hear me roll dice, but I'll, maybe I'll do a few things and I'll tell you some of the numbers I've accumulated and I'll, I'll tell you some things I'm changing because there are a few kind of odd things like the archery rules, which I think are a little bit uh, weird that I'm kind of messing with um, because they don't really overlap very easily uh, in my mind the way that they kind of should work. Uh, so, I mean, maybe they're more realistic. I actually don't know, but uh, I am going to make some changes to it, of course. We always tinker, right? But I will say I'm going to, I'm trying to put it together as close to uh, original, meaning I think it, there's another book that's called the OD&D Primer. Ooh, I can't remember who put that one out, but if you just Google that, it's free. Some It's out there on a PDF somewhere. It's probably on drive-thru. Um, one of the very first statements they make is that, you know, try to run this as written as best you can, kind of forgetting about everything that you know about RPGs. Imagine that it is 1974. These are the only books available, and you don't know anything. You've never played an RPG. You don't know all these other systems. You don't know about advantage and disadvantage, all those other things. Try to just run the rules as they're written, because they might actually be better than you think they are. Uh, I think we tend to just start making changes uh, in systems based on things that we like in previous systems without considering 
what those changes do to the system that we're you know trying to play or learn in any case um thanks for listening um and thanks for the messages like i said before it's it's uh, really cool to be part of a community here and uh i will talk to you all soon